Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't recognize me, I usually look like this. So this is my normal look. There's, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, I'm very angry, I'm frustrated. Um, that's what I usually look like if you see me in Safeway. You recognize me this way, probably not this way. Anyway, this morning, I'd like to start with a, uh, six words from St. Anthony. These are really words for a while. I count as my first six words when I wake up in the morning and my last six words when I go to bed at night. I offer them to you as an encouragement this morning, but I'd actually offer them as a habit of every morning and every night you take these six words because they're pretty easy to remember and it's only six. Behold God, beholding you, and smiling. Now, there's irony in this because when we insert our, ourselves into this equation, normally here's what we do with the formula. Behold God. Okay, God, I'm looking at God and all of his magnificence. I'm looking at God in, in his word, God in creation, uh, God in the person of Jesus, God on the cross, God in the powerful resurrection. Behold God. But, but what is he doing? Beholding you. Okay, now, now that I'm beholding God. He's looking at me. And this, this last little turn, and smiling. Because I think normally when we think this, when we start our morning or we go to bed at night, very often we behold God beholding you, and he's disappointed. Behold God beholding you, and he's frustrated. Behold God beholding you, and he looks stern. Maybe like we should get our act together. And I promise you, those are the lies of the evil one. That the best picture to take as you behold God who is beholding you. And really, he does behold you. And if you're paying attention, you notice this, and you know what he's doing? He's smiling. He's saying, my daughter, my son, my beloved so I offer this as we begin. Behold God. We, we get to sing together here gathered, or, or maybe we're, we're singing straight into our iPad or our phone, and in which case, uh, I've done this quite a bit lately. Um, I, I, it's, it's not good when you're by yourself. So, but, but sing anyway, because we're, we're joining the family of God all the way around the world. But it's a delight to sing, and really, in a lot of ways, that's how we're recognizing God is smiling on us when we're singing to him these promises and these praises, and we're singing in harmony, and we're singing out loud. And really, he's delighted. Whatever the opposite of disappointed in, he's delighted in his beloved. If we have gathered here, or we've gathered online, He's not trying to figure that out. Not really important to him. Are, are you beholding him? Beholding you and smiling. Let's pray together. Lord, may we receive. And it is not that easy. May we receive your delight in us. May that be reflected in a wholeness of how we see ourselves as your daughters and sons. May that delight also be reflected as we see one another as 
your daughters and sons. And may that be reflected in the way that we see a broken and hurting world of people yet to discover that they can be daughters and sons of the King. We, we need to receive that, Lord, and believe that, Lord, and trust that, Lord, and surrender to that, and remember that. So help us. We pray in expectation in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, kind of in the, in the rhythm of uh, going through the Gospel of John together, um, we hit this, what I think is a crescendo. These five chapters, one of which is really a whole prayer, that's John 17, but John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are, are the, the gospel writer John looking back. Remember, he's writing as an old man. He's remembering some things that maybe have either been unremembered or he's making sure they go on in perpetuity so that we're reading about them and experiencing these lessons and actions and prayers of Jesus in his final days before he goes to the cross. And really, when you read it, it it's five full chapters that John is unfolding for us. And this is the first one, which serves a little bit as, as an introduction to the other ones, and for sure, an introduction to him going to the cross, an introduction to him r rising from the dead, and an introduction to him um, uh, pouring out the Holy Spirit for the birth of the church. But this, this is the beginning, and when you think about these chapters, to put them in context, remember that this is Jesus who has lighted the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That'll happen in the next chapter. He's the great I am. He's, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's come into Jerusalem, and at height of popularity, there are palm fronds, there are cheers, there are hosannas. The coming king has entered Jerusalem. I mean, this is... This is before all of this happens. And if, if you will, I, I'd, like, I'd like to read a few verses out of John 13. And this, this is truly the demonstration of the full extent of his love. And he says this right away in verse 1. John 13, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knows what's going to happen. He has this in his mind. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And I would propose to you that this beginning right here doesn't really end in this action, but actually goes all the way through to Jesus' ascension all the way through and beyond the Great Commission, all the way through to Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that this is all, we're, we're going on a journey, and this is the expression of the full extent of his love. But it starts with this very incredible, ironic action that John 13 unpacks for us. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Like, don't, don't forget this, because of what's going to happen right now, Judas was in the room, the betrayer, and it was known that he was already 
in the actions of betrayal. And I hope this is a comfort to you. It is a comfort to me. For those who have betrayed Jesus with actions or attitudes, uh, he still includes us. That's the magnificence of our Savior. He doesn't exclude. Even Judas is included in what's going to happen now. This just says we are not dealing with the ordinary. We are dealing with the extraordinary Lord and Savior, King of Kings. And he is going to do an action, including the betrayer. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you read this really fast, you might miss all of what's going on here, that this was the foreshadowing of all that he was about to do. But this one action stood even by itself as a magnificent irony. Think about this, the times in your life where you're really clear on who you are and what your purpose is, where you are going. Like this is a time, he he knows that, that all authority has been given to him. He knows who he is. He knows he's going to the Father. He actually knows this great sacrifice that is about to be lived out. And and in that way, he shows he's like no other. Certainly not like me or like you. It seems like to me, when you know who you are and you have the full confidence of your authority and your full confidence of your mission, what you are to do, and you, you you are made for this, this is the time that you should pick up a pen and write a book. This is a time that you should blog. Oh my gosh, ramp up your Instagram game, Jesus, because this is a time to go viral here. Show everybody exactly who you are, where you're going, your full authority, your magnificent, you're the Savior, you're the Lord, you're the King. Show it. Demonstrate it. Something big, something spectacular. Something to rev up the popularity that we have experienced a little bit of when you raise Lazarus from the dead in 11. And in 12, the whole of Jerusalem comes out either to cheer or oppose. And mostly there's a lot more cheering than opposing. This is a time to do something as a demonstration of your power. And by the way, this is exactly what he does. But it's just not the way we would do it. He's so magnificent. He's so stunning. He's so not like us. He picks up a towel and a wash basin. And with the one who had betrayed him, and with the ones who were going to run away in fear, with the one who would soon deny him, even deny knowing him, all of us included, he picks up a towel and a wash basin, and he washes the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. And and all I can say is this is the full extent of his love, that this is the 
the God of the universe, the creator of all. In a demonstration of his love, what does he do? He gets down on one knee with this towel and this wash basin, and he's putting water onto Judas's feet like this, and he's rubbing his feet, and he's putting water onto Judas's other foot, and he's rubbing, and, and really, this is, you know, this is Palestine, dirt roads, only sandals. We got dirty feet. By the way, the, the, the culture of the day is whoever was the lowliest servant of all, what job did they get? Foot washer. So if you're new in the household or you're new in the village and you're lowest on the totem pole, foot washing. Because the dirtiest, grimiest, lowliest job, the Savior and King of the universe took the dirtiest, grimiest, lowliest job to wash the feet of the people who would betray, run away, doubt him. Stunning. And really, this is this demonstration of it does not matter what you have done. The king of the universe, not only beholding you and smiling, here's how he smiles. Like this. He's washing your grimy feet. He's taken the lowliest position. Because this is how much he loves you. This is how valuable you are to him. And really, Peter is going to have this little argument, and it's like a proud argument. It's like, no, Lord, not my feet. Wash the whole thing. I kind of get that. And, and like Peter's taking charge with what he thinks ought to happen. He doesn't think any of this should happen, but he's going to take charge of, well, we're not going to, we're not going to do the feet. The whole, the whole body as well. And, and Jesus is not going to have any of it. This is, this is the servant king on his knees washing the disciples' feet, and really he's washing our feet. This is part of how you know this is not a regular religious teacher. He's doing opposite of what we would do, opposite of what any leadership book would tell you. He is on a knee, and he's washing our feet. And remember, this is not the nice feet with socks and shoes, this is the real feet with mud and bunions and dirty nails. Stunning, really. At the height of his clarity and population, uh, uh, popularity and his reputation, he's washing their feet. And really, this is just the magnificent Savior that he is. And then he goes on after this little dialogue with Simon Peter. And we'll start in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? And I actually think this is a very uh, full question and probably a quiet moment. Because, again, they had just watched this little argument where Simon Peter was rebuked a little bit. And so, hmm, shh. We, uh, maybe we understand. Maybe we don't. Why don't you tell us? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. 
for that is what I am. He's also the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, the bread of life. He's the great I am. Like it is rightly so. He has his position over all of creation, over all of time. And yet, and yet, this is the action that he takes. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So not only is he telling us who he is, and in this moment of clarity and mission and, and fraught with what is about to happen, which will be deep suffering and rejection, genuine pain, all because he loves us. He, he's, he's offering this to us as an admonition or as marching orders, as, if you will, a way to live. The, the way to live is as a servant. The way to live is as one who washes feet. And you, you could say literally, but I don't think in, in this culture that's uh, going to be that common. But, but what if we became, and Peter says this, a peculiar people? Like his whole point is to make us into a peculiar people, a peculiar tribe. And, and what if the, the main characteristic of this peculiar tribe called living streams was that they were known for their serving. They were known for taking the lowliest position. They, they actually became secret agents of service, looking for the smallest and the largest and noticing every place where they could take a place of serving. And oh, by the way, this has never been more true. Some of the service in this current world that is so divided and dismembered and so vitriolic and so spiteful and name-calling, all of this just, just chaos around us. Really, one of the, the best ways we can demonstrate this servanthood is to be kind and noticeably kind. And really, I just, I'm just putting you on alert. CIA agent of kindness is a CIA agent of the king who took the towel and the wash basin as a demonstration of the full extent of his love. And I'm telling you, there is nowhere where this is not operative, especially, again, in this world, and actually a little bit more so in COVID world. So you're driving up to the Taco Bell, you got a burrito supreme and three crunchy tacos. No, I'm not getting a soda, that's too expensive. And you pull up to the window and you just tell the gal, I really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you, be safe. Okay, I don't, actually don't think she falls down on her knees and meets the Lord but I actually believe her spirit is lifted up because all of us want to be noticed. And if we're noticed by another human being that is unexpected, that's the glimmer of being noticed by God. The glimmer of God beholding us and smiling. And, and maybe she gets to know, or maybe she already knows, and she's kindness right back at you, and there's this connection. 
of a peculiar people, a peculiar tribe that's known for their service. And really, I always put love and service together. I really don't know how you can demonstrate love without service, and I don't know that you can demonstrate service without loving, at least not consistently. That's just two sides, one coin. And this is the demonstration of the full extent of his love. And then he gives it to us as a way to live, that we are to live as servants. And this is demonstrated in thousands of tiny little ways. So, so when we, we break out of here, or actually even before we break out of here, we recognize, I know who I am. And, and, and if, you, if you're not sure who you are, this is a great place, a group of people to help you discover that. Because here's what you'll learn. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. And he loves you. And this is how he loves you. And we love you too. You're welcome. Glad you're here. Stick with us. You know what? We are servants. We don't have any better jobs than that. No, we do not. We don't have any better job than that. There isn't a better job than that. And when you think about it, he says it right here. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So it's really not just a theory. This is a practice. The practice of being a servant, and you know what? There are really hundreds, if not thousands, of opportunities every single day in your life, the real one that you live, to demonstrate the heart of a servant. Now, generally, the heart of a servant is just Jesus kind. I'm serving. I don't need to thank you. I don't actually need to be noticed because he didn't get one here. Mostly, instead of a thank you, he got resistance from Simon Peter. I'm not sure they understood it again until much later, but we have a chance to to see it in retrospect and understand it again today. That what does it mean for me in my actual real life today to be a servant? And really, this would be a good time for me just to get a whiteboard and people start shouting out, well, here's what that'd mean for me today. And I write them down and that would be incredible because if you're listening, The Lord may be prompting you right now, I'm supposed to call my mom and tell her I love her. I don't really have to tell her, hey mom, I'm picking up a towel and a wash basin. Did you notice? Just do. And then he says, you will be blessed. And this is part of how you listen to the Lord. It's also part of how you view the world. We're out there, we're looking, we're looking. We're the secret agents of service. We're trying to find every place we can. There's a chair that's out of place. I'm going to help move it. Somebody had a flat tire. I'm going to help them. I'm driving down the road. I can see this guy wants to cut in, and it really, he zoomed by me a minute ago, so I'm not letting him in. Grab a towel. (laughs) Grab the wash basin. Let him in. Okay, I'm really not saying he will fall down on his knees and and pray to receive Jesus. I don't don't think that's true. But, but, But think about this. In this world that right now is so divided and so spiteful and so quick to point out flaws, what if we were the ones that were quick to serve and quick to point out job well done? The guy at Safeway, he's stalking the salsa. You walk down, man, you're doing a fantastic job. I really appreciate you. 
thanks for the work that you do. Like if we just came CIA agents, CIA agents of encouragement and service to the world. Now maybe you grab a box and you start to put salsa on the shelf next to them. Uh, that would be, I, I, I dare someone to try that. I would like to hear the report, what would happen. I don't, I, but, but I do think that'd be very cool because that's what I mean. Like we're thinking of some grand thing and maybe the Lord says, I want you to move to Ecuador and be a missionary there. In that case, go. You know what you go as? Servant. But equally, in every dynamic and element of life, are we watching? Are we looking for places to serve? And then this crazy promise, you will be blessed if you do this. Like, I actually don't think you'll be blessed if you think about it. I actually don't think you'll be blessed if uh, you hear a sermon about it. I think you will 100% be blessed if you do it. Like, watch what happens inside your own soul. Maybe it is not noticed by anyone else, but in your own soul, there is a rising up of joy. A rising up of what? I, I, I get to be part of the CIA agent team of foot washers and towel dryers for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that everything that you do might be done as an action or a service unto him. And in this, you will be blessed. Now, it's interesting. I want to skip ahead just a bit, John chapter 16, because I think this is important, especially as it applies to right now today. Jesus says at the end of John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody know trouble today? Got it. It's all of us. Some, it may be personal, right in your family. We prayed for some families. I mean, they're in trouble, the trouble. And, and Jesus doesn't say you're not going to have trouble. In fact, he said, you will have trouble. Like, that's not new news. That's old news. From Genesis 3 on, we're in trouble. So kind of count on it. But then he says this great little word that I think is a really good word for right now, especially in the United States, but also around the world. Take heart. Take courage. Stand your ground. Remain steadfast. Hold on to hope. Really implied in there. Be a blessing by being a servant. Here's how you take heart. Take action. Take the actions of a servant. But all of those things are peripheral because it says, take heart for I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. But I know how this story ends. And then one more part of, of this chapter that I, I'd like to tie in here. This is John 13, uh, 34 and 35. The, the, the glue which puts all of these chapters together. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And as we're heading into this season of evangelism, the thing that I would most like you to relax about is this is the first word of evangelism, love one another. 
Because when, when I hear your words and I watch you love, the words and the love align, and I want to be in that group. I've, ne I've never known another human being that doesn't want to be in a group that loves each other. Especially one that goes, come on in and we'll love you too. In fact, if you don't come in, we'll love you. Like that's, that's the new people that God is creating. This, this is the, the, the admonition for all of us. This love and service all go together as demonstrations of his love. But the demonstration of his love is to make us into a people that love one another and serve in a broken and hurting world. Until whatever you do, family, neighborhood, university, high school, work, all of these things are operating. Look for places to serve. Look for demonstrations of love. And then when we do get to gather, or even if we're just viewing online, we're in this position of loving one another. And this is how the whole world will know that you are my disciples. You are this peculiar people that love each other and serve. And you're secret agents of this service. I want to quote Prudentius as I close. Prudentius is a writer that wrote, uh, uh, oh good, I said, fourth century. And he, he, he writes about the battle in the human soul. And he's always, there's these two uh, opposing sides within the human soul. And he's talking about the battle every day. And, and really, he's brilliant. But he's a poet, so I always need my wife to translate. Can you tell me what that says? And this is a little bit of a paraphrase. Every day, pride and humility meet on the battlefield of the human soul. There's pride, humility. When humility begins to win the battle, pride turns to shame in order to win the battle. You could unpack that for the rest of your life. When you feel shame, what is happening? Well, there's, a, I'm looking at myself again. It kind of looks like the opposite of pride, but it's actually looking at myself. And this is how pride continues to win the battle. But my proposition, and Prudentius didn't write this, this is a, a Marty paraphrase. So pride and humility meet on the battlefield of, one, uh, of a man's soul. Uh, the human soul, and when pride starts to win, he goes to shame in order, in order to win. Humility picks up a towel in order to win the battle. So humility knows, well, I can't fight the regular way. He's fighting a different way. You know what I'm going to do? I'm getting down on one knee. I'm grabbing a towel and a wash basin. Humility wins the day. And by the way, this battle is going on every single day. Every single day in our hearts and our souls, and our, our souls are being battled for. It's never been more clear in my mind. The, the enemy is not the other political party or even the other nation or the other language group or the other not like me. The enemy is the enemy, and he's a liar and a deceiver, and he's out to kill and destroy, and he's out to make us selfish and small, safe and stingy, not servant, opposite. And the king of kings says, come with me, and I'm going to make you a servant of all. And by the way, in this, you will find joy, and you will find blessing, and you will find hope. We're going to take communion together. Abraham Heschel wrote uh, last century, or, or late 1800s, early 1900s. And he said, the opposite of remember 
is not to forget, but it's to dismember. So when we remember, we remember what God has done, but we remember to become a whole fellowship, and we remember to become a whole soul. We reconnect, remember. First, by recognizing what God has done and remembering that because we're forgetters, but we're also dismemberers. The thing that most likely happens when we forget is we dismember, we disconnect. We disconnect from God, we disconnect from others, we hide, we run away. And so he offers communion as a reminder and a place to remember. And if you're online, I hope you've been able to find a, a cracker or some bread. You've been able to, to find some juice or whatever element you can as we celebrate communion together on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and likewise, he took the cup. It was very much in the dynamic of this same place that we're reading in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So this cup is, is my shed blood. And really, I, I think the disciples, like many people, are going, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Well, we know. This is Christ on the cross, the magnificent servant king, king dying for our sins, that we might be forgiven and free, so that we might become forgivers and those who set others free. This is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. We drink this and remember Christ on the cross. Lord, take this offering. Help us to remember. Help us to be those who joyfully, quickly wear a towel and grab a water basin. Help us to be those who love one another so that all men and women might know that we are your disciples and that this is what you do to a community, to a people. And we send this out into the world. Here we are, Lord, send us. We go as your servants. We go as your towel and wash basin children. In Christ's name, amen.